Good morning, family. All right, I want to once again start in prayer and just um, please join me in praying again for me so that I would be truly listening to what the Spirit is actually speaking to me. Um, And then also for yourselves, that your ears would be open, that your eyes would be able to see uh, the depths of of what God has. Um, I find that it's amazing that he allows uh, us as humans to to enter into uh, communion with him, where he then actually speaks and reveals things to us. That he actually says that, that the Spirit himself actually reveals the deep things of who he is. And so that I then find that to be uh, an incredible thing that then each person that speaks, not just from a platform, but from their own time with the Lord, that they then are speaking something of a revelation of something that God has given them. And so I realize that there's a gravity to that. Um, and so I ask also just that, um, that as, as you're praying for me and as you're praying for yourself, that the Spirit would just be present here. So, Father, I just thank you, just that you do speak to us, that you are good, that you love your children, that you want to reveal yourself in greater and deeper um, in more majestic ways, in more personal ways, and in ways that are tangible, in ways that we can truly um, not just know you as some far-off um, being, but that you are present with us. And so, Father, I just ask that, that as you... Um, as you are here this morning, as you are, um, as you are revealing things to each one of us, that you would be just clearing our eyes, that you would be clearing our ears, you would be clearing our mind of the clutter, of the things that, that distract us, that you'd be bringing peace, that you'd be bringing life and joy, and that you would be the one who rules and reigns in this place, that we would set you apart as Lord of our lives, that we would set our minds on those things that are above, and that you would receive glory, and you would, you would reveal the glory that, that you have, have both given to us and that you receive back from us, and that we would be those who walk in your presence at all times. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name. So last week, uh, we talked about that we are free from sin, that we are no longer bound to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. Like, sin is no longer something, uh, it's something that we're going to struggle with. There's, there's going to be temptations, um, and I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm just saying that, that what Christ finished, he finished, and that we are now free from sin, and we can now walk free from from that bondage, from that captivity, and that we can walk free from that. And, and by his spirit, we actually enter into that life. Uh, so I just want a quick look at a, a couple things just to, to go back on, on some of those things um, before we get into what we're going to talk about today. So flip with me to John 8. John 8, 31 through 36 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slaves do not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I think that, that there's something of that that we need to realize, that who the son sets free is truly free indeed. That we often go back and go like, yeah, well, you know, I still struggle with sin. That is going to be true. That is going to be uh, something that we continue to, to wrestle with, to continue to struggle with. Uh, but that does not mean that you are continuing to be bound to it as a slave to sin. Uh, there's, there's a guy that, um, that I've heard his story where, where he tells that, um, that he, he was an ex-con. He was a really, really not a great guy. And uh, he was being discipled by somebody. And uh, this, uh, the ex-con, he was, he was also a drug addict. And uh, he, he's meeting with this guy. And, and he's like, do you know that you are free from sin? And he's walking him through all these scriptures going, this is now your life. As somebody who has been born again, you are no longer bound to sin. And this guy is like, man, that's awesome. That's so cool. And he go home and he tells his, his wife and his little girl, he's like, I'm new. I'm different. I'm no longer going to do those things that I used to do. I'm no longer going to lie. I'm no longer going to cheat. I'm no longer going to steal. I'm no longer going to do drugs. And then next day, he'd go back to doing the exact same things again. And he's like, ah, why does this keep happening? I've been told that I'm free. And so he'd go back to this guy and be like, I'm free from sin. Why do I keep doing these things? And he's like, you're different though. You used to not care. You used to just do this. And it was just like, yeah, I stole. I don't really care anymore. He's like, the fact that there's something in you that actually cares, there's something that actually like, there's, there's, it's not a, a condemnation, it's conviction that there's a better life, that I am somebody new. I'm somebody different. I'm somebody that, that has been born again, that I am a new creation. And that is what we need to get, is that there, there, there's this thing of, of conviction that when we do sin, that we run back to Papa God. And we say, ah, I blew it. You have made me a son. Reveal again to me that I am a son. Show me that I am a son of God. And that we begin to walk in that, and we begin to actually believe the truth that we have been set free, that we have a new uh, and living hope that we can actually overcome those things, that, that just because you sin doesn't mean that that's your identity, but we can actually go, all right, there's a good root here. There's a good thing in me that, that, that of, of the Spirit that says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to live this way. And we tap into that, and we tap into the Spirit, and we go, all right, God, you're working something in me. It may not be complete. It may not be full. It may not be to its final stage, but I'm going to start walking in that. So I want that to be something that, that we, we realize is life. Like, there's going to be these struggles, and, and I don't want you to, like, I realize from, from last week's teaching, you could go home and be like, awesome, I am free from sin. Come Monday, or even later on that day, you're sinning, and you're like, Stephen said I was free. Why is, this, why is this not happening? Why is this the problem? There's a good thing going on in you that what he started, he will be faithful to complete. So don't take that and just let condemnation overtake you, but let the conviction of God, the Holy Spirit, who's, who is the one doing the work, 
let you know that there is, there's a work that's taking place and that he, is, he has freed you and that it's you and working with the Spirit, believing the truth that he has given you, that you can actually begin to walk that out. Does that make sense? Okay, so what I, what I actually want to talk about today is that uh, being free from sin is really awesome, but that's not where Jesus just leaves us. He doesn't, he doesn't just give us the Spirit so that we can walk free from sin. When, when Jesus was, was on earth, he lived, he died, he resurrected, hooray, but that's not, like, he doesn't, he doesn't act as if that's the end. Like, we, we use the, the cross and the resurrection as, as, like, this is the high point. This is the point that, that Jesus did his work. And that's so very true. But Jesus, if, his, his perspective when he gets done isn't like, yes, we did it. We're done. I'm just going to go, and everything's hunky-dory, and I'm leaving. No, he still realizes, like, I have... Like, I, I, what I did is done, but there's something greater that's still to come. And so he, he, when he ascends and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, he actually sends his spirit. And, and I don't want, like, what I don't want us to do is just go, great, the spirit has been sent just for me to overcome sin. No, the spirit has been sent for so much more, for, for us to actually live into so much more than what we tend to actually live into. So I want us to look at a few different passages here. So in... Uh, the book of Chronicles, the very last page of the book of Chronicles. Now, remember that this is the end of the Jewish order of the Old Testament. This is not the end of the, uh, the Old Testament that you read, but if you were reading in a uh, Jewish Bible, uh, this would be the very last uh, page before you enter into what, what we call the New Testament. And so uh, we have in verse 23, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So this should, if we're listening, if we're paying attention, this should remind us very much of the end of Matthew. We have a proclamation of authority that he, uh, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Then there's whoever is among all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. So now there's also a... Uh, a a, an affirmation that there is going to be the presence of the Lord with them. And then there's a mission to go and go do something. And so when we get to Jesus in, in Matthew 28, and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We should realize that there is actually something that's tied here, that, there is, that what uh, Cyrus sent them back to do was go build the house of the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's like, hey, my work wasn't finished. I didn't come just to, to die to save you from sins, but I came to build a people. I came to actually build a people together that they would actually have the authority of my name in them, that they would actually go out and do these things, that the presence of the Lord would actually go out from them, that there is actually something far bigger than just 
defeating sin, that there is actually a mission to, like, that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And that's going to take place through us, that his glory is going to be coming through us into all of creation. So we realize that, that uh, in John, that he actually speaks and he actually breathes on his disciples and says, this is, the, this is the Holy Spirit. Receive him and go and go do these things. That in Mark, it actually says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and they drink. And if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. So these signs will follow those who believe. What is somebody who like, believe? What is what is a good definition for that one? Somebody who is fully convinced. Somebody who is fully convinced that what Jesus says, what, what the Spirit has done within us, is actually going to be taking place. That I think that this is what. Uh, this is one of the things that, that I think is a struggle for us as Christians is we go, well, I've prayed an awful lot and not seen the responses, the answers, the things that I requested of Jesus. And we feel defeated. We go, you said that this would take place. And we begin to question whether what he said is actually true. We begin to let our experiences shape the reality with which we live. Do we realize that's the work of the enemy from the very beginning? It, did God really say this? Did God really actually say this to you? And we let our experiences overtake what the word of God actually says. Oftentimes, I think we think, well, if I just have more faith, as if it's a quantity, but Jesus actually says, even if you have a mustard seed of faith, this will happen. So it's not a quantity, right? Like, it's not something of a quantity. I think we oftentimes think of faith as being an instant, in a moment, in a, in a specific time. I had faith right then, or I didn't have faith right then. But that's not really how the Bible talks about it. It's not really how, how faith is actually shown. It's actually, uh, we continue to believe. We continue to have faith. We continue to actually, whether we see it or whether we don't, we believe that what we have asked for is in reality taking place. And so we don't give up whenever our eyes see something that's not happening. We continue to walk that out. We continue to actually live that out. So for, for myself, when, as I've dealt with digestive is, issues uh, for years and years and years, I've gotten to this point uh, very recently that I realized uh, all, of these, all of these struggles that I have digestively, I have now not, I don't just have these issues. I don't just have this problem where, uh, where I, if I eat something, there's an issue in my body. I now am pre like, before I even eat something, I'm already fearful. I have gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can eat that because I know this is going to do this. And I'm letting fear rule 
That, like, that's what I'm doing? When, when I got that realization that I am letting fear rule the day over the word of God, that the word of God actually says that I am healed by his stripes, that I'm not just quoting these scriptures now, I'm actually realizing that there's something of a reality. There's actually something of, a, of, of I'm, he says, fear not, little flock. The kingdom of God is within you. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so if I am fearful, if I am walking in worry, if I'm walking in anxiety, I'm not, that, that is never how the kingdom is actually presented. The kingdom is never one of worry. It's never one of anxiety. It's never one of, of fear. It's never one of depression. It's always one of hope. It's always one of life. It's always one of love. And so as I realized that I was letting fear actually rule the day, I was letting fear overtake my life, I was letting fear be the thing that actually shaped how I would do things, I began to pray, and I was actually prayed for, uh, for healing. And since that day, I have no longer, uh, I, I've not had a perfect healing and I'm actually, like, I've talked to the Lord about this, and I've asked him, like, why did you not just, like, give me a perfect healing? Why did you not just, like, restore me fully 100%? And he's like, because you have to actually, like, I want to grow you. I want to mature you. I want you to actually not just, like, have this instant moment where you're like, great, I was healed. Now I can just do whatever I want to. He's like, I want you to continue to depend on me. I want you to continue to actually overcome your fear. I want you to continue to be one who actually is no longer anxious when you think about the food that you're going to eat, but that you go... I know that you have done a work in me and that you are going to continue to do this work and that you are fulfilling something in me. And so at this point, I no longer worry about the things that I eat. Uh, ask Kathy. I go to their house now and she loaded it up with cheese and all types of stuff last night. Um, and, and so I'm like, I just eat whatever it is. And then <laughs> and I pray before and I pray after. I'm just like, thank you, Lord, that you've already done a work in me, that you've continued to do this. And from, from the point that I've changed my thinking from going, I'm a fearful person who does these kinds of things, to someone who's like, no, this is no longer my calling. This is no longer my, what I'm actually supposed to be. I'm actually supposed to be living as one who has the spirit of God who's been transformed, who has his life within me, and I've been hidden with him. That from that point, there has been a drastic change in my digestion. It is not perfect, but it has changed. And I continue to depend on him every single day, every single time. And he is changing me, and he's maturing me, and he's growing me, because faith is actually something that is supposed to grow, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and we're supposed to test what is the will of God. And in that testing, that testing is something that actually is, uh, it's not like that, that we are tested by trials, but we actually go, what is the will of God? What, are, what is this that's supposed to be taking place? That we actually look and go, what is good? What is right? What is the things that I'm supposed to be walking into? That is the test that we actually see. We can actually see from his perspective and go, I can walk into this. I can see that, that anxiety is no longer the calling that I have on my life. The fear is no longer the thing that I'm supposed to be living into. But he has given me no longer a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think sometimes when we do pray um, from a place of fear, 
at least I can, I can speak for myself in this, that, that we will pray scriptures and promises and everything, um, but not from a place of covenant. And I think there's uh, a really important uh, understanding that there is a difference of someone who, has, uh, who is in this covenant of life, that when we pray, uh, we don't come and just go, ah, I have this anxiety, I have this issue, or I have this struggle, I have this need, I have this want, I have this thing. And we come and we pray and go, God, I need you to do this. But that we actually pray as one who is in covenant with him. That we actually pray not from the worry, but how many times have we heard Warren do this? You don't pray the anxiety, you pray the answer. You don't pray the problem, you pray the promise. You don't pray the worry, you pray the word. And that can just sound just frilly and fun and just a nice little play on words and stuff. But that is, there's actually something true of that, that whenever we actually begin to be those who, who are no longer uh, just uh, in it for ourselves, that we actually realize that we are covenant children, that we are actually more in it for him, that when, no matter what might come, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say he will be faithful to get us out of this. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, he's still good. He is still good. There's, there is no questioning of his character. That we let his character always rule the day. That the things that, what we can't let happen is, is the things that we've already established as truth, the things that we have already anchored our life in, we cannot let those things get shifted by our experiences. When we, let to let, when we go and let our experiences begin to shift the truths of God's character, we're no longer walking in faith. Now we're letting fear, anxiety, worry rule the day. We're no longer letting the things that he has, the truth that he has, actually take root in our lives and begin to grow down deep and actually produce fruit. Instead of actually doing that, we're, le- we're, letting, uh, we're letting fear, we're letting uh, our experiences reshape what we view as reality. We're, instead of living by faith, we live by sight. But we're supposed, to live, we're supposed to live by faith, right? We're not supposed to live by the things that we see. If Jesus comes into a room, and there's a lame person, and he touches them, are they healed? They are healed. Jesus is never thwarted. When he prays for somebody, they are healed. People use the scripture that, uh, well, Jesus in his hometown wasn't able to do very many miracles. And we, we, we pretend as if that he's going around and he's praying for people and they're not being healed. No, that, that's not what happened. Every single time Jesus prayed for somebody, they were healed. Why, when he goes to his hometown, could he not produce many miracles? It's because people weren't bringing him. They're like, oh, it's just Jesus, Joseph and Mary's son. Like, what is he like? We know him. It, wasn't he just our neighbor? Like, what, what's different about him than from everybody else? It wasn't that he was praying for people and they weren't being healed. It was that people didn't have the faith to bring them out because they didn't see a difference in his life. They didn't think that he would actually be different from, from what everybody else was. So if Jesus actually prays for somebody, they are healed. And yet, when we see in the Bible that his disciples pray for a demon-possessed person, and that person's not healed, 
We're like, well, you know, that's, I've had that experience. You know, I prayed for somebody and they weren't healed or something. And instead, Jesus comes on and goes, I'm going to pray for them and they will be healed. So just because we pray doesn't mean it's not God's will. Just because we pray and we don't get that answer doesn't mean like, well, it wasn't God's will. We're, we're just supposed to just give up at this point. No, it's a continual, it's an endurance, it's a continuation. It's a continual faith. It's not faith for that specific moment, but it's faith for a life. It's faith for the continuation, the fullness of what he has actually accomplished for us. Does this make sense? All right, I want to look at uh, Mark 11, 20 through 26. Mark 11, 11, 20 through 26. As they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he, what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So, whatever you ask for, believe that it is yours, and it will be. So what you actually see in that moment may not actually happen. It may not actually be in that specific moment that you get the thing that you requested. But what you're supposed to do is believe. And at no point do you stop believing. At no point are you no longer fully convinced. At no point do you give up on his character. At no point do you decide, I'm not sure if he's going to do this. I'm not sure that he is good. I'm not sure that he's, he's willing to continue to, to love me in the way that I've requested. Let's remember that he came to bring life and life abundantly. And what did the enemy come to do? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if we see things in life that are stealing, killing, and destroying, it's the work of the enemy. And yet we'll believe those things. We're faster to try to, 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 try to um, explain unbelief to people uh, of why we can't believe this, why this, this uh, um, Verdict from, from the doctor, that whatever the doctor has said, uh, that this now has more weight than what the Word of God does. Like, uh, well, we know that people born with this issue, uh, they tend to not live very long, or, or this kind of cancer, this is what can, tends to happen, or, or whatever the thing is that we actually get from the doctor, whatever it is that we get uh, as news, we tend to let those things weigh more. But we have to. We have to, just like God himself, he put his word up with his name. That he put his word and his name above everything else. That we have to get to the point that we put his word above our experience. We have to put his word above whatever it is that the doctor tells us. We have to put his word above, above whatever it is that we see with our eyes, whatever we actually think and look at and, and begin to see as, as what we view as reality. That his word is above 
everything. That we know that all of the promises are yes in Jesus Christ and amen through us to the glory of God. That all of the promises are yes through Jesus Christ. And then amen through our lives, that it actually lives out, that we believe the truth of what that actually is. Go to Second uh, Peter 1 real quick for me. His divine power, uh, this is uh, chapter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us, anybody know that word? It's a long one. Everything, all things pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So he has granted his precious and very great promises to us, that all the promises of God are yes and amen. But we don't just quote them as scriptures. We don't just quote them. We don't just do these things as as works. We cannot just quote a scripture and go, I take that healing and this is my healing. That there's actually something of relationship that has to take place. There is something of relationship with him that has to take place. That we cannot just quote a scripture, we cannot just quote a fact, we cannot just quote a truth and just go, I've taken it, I'm anchored on this, and that's it. I'm not budging. That's great. That's great. But there's something of relationship that has to take place for us to actually be able to walk those things out in the fullness, in the fruitfulness that actually comes from that. So I'm going to start on that again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, that we actually become partakers of his divine nature, that there is something of an authority that we then get to walk out as those who are his chosen, precious children. We have having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's, that's why I hit that last week, was because we have now overcome sin, which means then we can actually begin to walk into these other things, that, that we have to actually get so unsin conscious and so sun conscious that we actually have to become those who actually believe that this is the truth, that this is the reality, that this is what we actually get to live into to actually see the fruitfulness of these other things taking place. Verse 5, for this very reason, making every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. But we haven't, right? 
We haven't forgotten that. That should be fresh in our minds, that we have been cleansed of our former sins. And so that when he actually does give us his divine nature, which he has, when he actually lets us actually enter into his great and precious promises, which he has, that we begin to actually go, ah, this is my life. This is what I've been called to. This is what it actually looks like to be imitators of him. Let's go to Second Corinthians. Twelve. So Paul in Second Corinthians, he has the Corinthians, uh, he's writing to them. And he's t- talking to them and telling them, uh, you know, I realize that you have all these, these new super apostles, these ones uh, who, who uh, come with these letters of, of recommendation, uh, and, and they have basically uh, put their own authority uh, over the church. They have come in and they've gone, hey, look at all these great things that I do. And Paul's like, no, that's not the point. Like, it's the work that Jesus did. And instead of actually writing his own letter of recommendation and saying, hey, you know me? You know how great I was when I was there? He actually, instead of actually trying to tell them how great he is, instead what he does, he goes, I take glory in my weakness. That the weakness that I have in my own self, that the things that I was incapable of, that I'm not the greatest speaker, that I'm not the one who does these things, that I actually take glory and honor and, and, and revel in the fact that it's God who is actually working through me. And so we actually get to this place where he's actually uh, being extremely sarcastic in the end of 11 and into 12 um, and basically mocking them for Let's, let's make sure that, that we have these people who are great and, and powerful and, and are amazing in authority here. And he's like, why? What is the point? I don't understand what you're doing. And he gets to this place um, in verse 7 of chapter 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. That it, should be, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we'll use this also, and we'll say, Well, Paul had this sickness... He had the sickness in his flesh. It was the, this, this thorn in the flesh that he had. And, and he prayed, and God said, nope, you're going to keep this. The problem is, like, if you actually pay attention to thorns all the way from the beginning, remember there was thorns, like, what, in chapter 3? Um, and then it uh, continues to build. There's this continuation of what thorns actually are. When Paul gets to this, this is not something about sickness. This is not what he's talking about. And, and if you're not tracking just thorns, if you're just reading it, he goes on in, in verse 10. He said, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with, and he's going to tell you, what are the things that have been his thorns? What are the things that have been his struggle of the enemy that has been coming against him? The, the, the thorn in his, his flesh is, I don't care if it's weaknesses. I don't care if it's insults. I don't care if it's hardships. I don't care if it's persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then 
I am strong. And so whenever we get to a scripture like this and we begin to go, well, you know, Jesus didn't heal all these people um, in, in his hometown. Well, you know, Paul said that uh, to Timothy, hey, take a drink of wine for your stomach so that, you know, you can, you can be made better. And we're like, well, see, even Paul didn't have, see all the healings. Like, well, was Paul the revelation or was Jesus the revelation? Who was the revelation? Jesus was the revelation. I'm not going to base it off of what, just because Paul didn't see a healing, every single time that Jesus prayed, he did see a healing. Jesus is my revelation, not Paul. And so we get, when we get to this one and we begin to go, well, sometimes I just have to deal with my sicknesses. Sometimes I just have to deal with these things in the flesh. It's like, that is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about sicknesses. He is talking about weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. These are the things that he's talking about. When the enemy comes and pushes it, when, it, when he sh- is shipwrecked, when he is uh, beaten, those are the things, and those are promised, that this will happen, that you will be those who suffer for my name, that you will take up my, your cross and follow me, that, that I will heal you, but you will be beaten for my name, that you must be those who overcome. And I think that is the key part, that we begin to enter into this authority when we realize that we are overcomers, that when we don't just realize that we are overcomers, but we actually do the things that overcomers do. And so in, in Revelation, it says that we overcome by blood of the Lamb, word of our testimony. Oh, 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 the most important part. Nobody ever knows this part. And you'll know it right when I tell you. And not loving your own life, even to death. Well, no wonder no one quotes that part. That one's not the friendly part. Like, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and, and not loving our life unto death. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the work that he has done, by the work that he has finished. We overcome by that, by the word of our testimony. Our testimony is that which testifies to the work that he has already done. So all three of these things are tied together. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, His work, and our mouth testifies to the truth that that is true. And then our life, that we, will not, like, that we are willing to give up our lives even to the point of death, that that is the realization, that is the truth, that our life says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, our mouth testifies it, and my life testifies it. And when we get to the point where we can be like Jesus in the garden, and He says, not my will, but yours be done, we begin to walk that out. We begin to realize that it's by his spirit that we overcome. That it's by his spirit that we live life. That that is when we'll begin to actually walk in authority. That we'll be those who actually walk by his spirit. And we see the power of God taking place, taking out into the world. That as he sends us out, that we will know that it's not our life. And even if we lost our life, it's okay. That, that even if the thing doesn't, that we're praying for doesn't happen, even if, if what we pray for, the answer doesn't come in the way that we want, we still know he is still good. Even if he doesn't, he is still faithful. Even if he doesn't do it, he's still good. And we still believe the entire time that what we've asked for, we will receive. None of those things are changing. It's all about continuing on in faith, that we continue to walk this out. 
In Romans 12, it says to each has been given a measure of faith. And sometimes people will be like, well, I just don't have as much faith. And again, remember how much faith it takes? A mustard seed, so not much. It's not a quantity. And last time that I remember in G- when Jesus was talking and he gave out specific things, and he said, some, one I gave one, one I gave five, one I gave ten. What was expected? <laughs> Should we go to Genesis 1? <laughs> Does anybody remember what I was saying? Oh, Romans 12. Romans 12. Romans 12. That to each one was given a measure of faith. That, that uh, <laughs> goodness, uh, that we'll sometimes say, well, I just don't have enough faith. I, I didn't have enough faith for this specific thing. And that's not the point. Like, that's not what it is. If, even if you have a mustard seed, even if you have that small of faith, that will still get the job done. But when Jesus gives the talents, when he says, hey, to one was given one, one was given five, one was given ten, and the person who was given little, he comes back and he's like, why did you do nothing with it? Why did nothing happen? So if you have a measure of faith that has been given to you, it's not to look at it and go, ah, it's just not as much as so-and-so. It's to actually put it into practice. It's actually to use it. It's actually to grow it. That's the point. It's not just to sit there and go, well, I'm always going to have this much. The amount that he gave me from my birth to the point that I die, it will always be one. That's not what it's after. He wants us to actually grow, to actually mature, to actually develop into his son, that we are actually hidden with him, that we are developing into all things who is Christ the head. What I, want you to leave, what I want to leave you with is do not ever, from this point on, let your experiences come above the Word of God. I have been told that you've got to be careful. You, gotta be, you, you can't say these things that are so like, like Jesus said, like you're going to go do these things and you should expect healings. And this is what like, has been given through the kingdom. Because sometimes it doesn't happen. And experiences, you know, I've gotten older and experiences have reshaped how I think about things. At what point do we ever let our experiences come above the Word of God? At no point do we ever let our experiences come above the Word of God. All right, I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I just thank you that you are the good, good Father. And that even if you didn't answer, we still know that your character is good. That we still know that you are the one that we, we look to, that even in, in Hebrews where it says that we do not see all things subject to you yet, but what we see is you and that you are our model. You are the one that we look to. You are the one that we imitate. You are the one that we set our eyes towards, our lives in line with. So, Father, I just ask that you would be shaping, changing, rewiring, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that our minds would so shift that we would no longer just look with our eyes, 
and see the things that are in what we call reality, but that we would actually believe for, that we'd be so fully convinced that your work has won, that your work is, is good, and that you have done something in us and that you've transformed us into new creations that we'd walk out and actually live in the way that you've called us to walk. I thank you for this, Jesus. Amen.